Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. I just speak, and everybody carries on speaking here. I don't want to interrupt really good conversations, but there's plenty of time uh, to, to speak to one another um, after the service, or if you're really daring during the sermon, but uh, that won't work, as we can see. Um, my name's John, if you're a visitor here. I'm one of the elders and a pastoral assistant. Um, we're glad to see you here with us. If you're a visitor and this is the first time you've ever been in a church, we do some strange things perhaps to somebody who's never been in a church, but um, pay attention and you'll learn as we go along. And if you have any questions, then we can answer them afterwards. Um, one of the things we do to express our joy um, is to sing praise to God. And we're going to stand to sing, You Alone Can Rescue. And after that, there'll be a call to worship. Please remain standing, and then we'll go straight into another song, Amazing Grace. So let's stand to sing to God's praise. You, O Lord, who, O Lord, could save themselves. and peace to you. 
From him who is and who was and who is to come, even Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. Let's continue our praise and worship of him in the words of um, How Sweet the Sound, Amazing Grace.
seated. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we've sung, so make that true to our hearts that your grace astonishes us this day as we're gathered here, that we're waiting before the ruler and judge of all the earth, waiting for a just sentence of condemnation. And by your amazing grace through Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We give you thanks and we pray for one another that as we draw near to you, so we will draw near to one another and you'll give us love for one another and you'll deepen our faith and our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Head, our Saviour, the source of grace upon grace, whom we worship with all your church together. In his name. Amen. Amen. Now, as a practice, um, we confess our sins together, and the words will appear on the screen. Um, and we stay seated to say, to say this. Let us uh, confess our sins. God, God of, of everlasting love, we confess that we have been unfaithful to our covenant with you and with one another. We have worshipped other gods, money, power, greed, and convenience. We have served our own self-interest instead of serving you and your people. We have not loved our neighbor as you commanded, nor have we rightly loved ourselves. Forgive us, gracious God, and bring us back into the fullness of our covenant with you and one another through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the assurance of pardon, which we'll actually be reading together in the sermon as well, comes from Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, we read through the Bible, it's part of our practice, and uh, Stephen's going to come and read to us our first reading from the book of Acts. If you want to open your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse, read verses 1 to 16. That's on page 1096, if you've got one of the, the Bibles from the back of the church there. Acts chapter 5, reading at verse 1. <clears throat> now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself one of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this price you and Ananias got for the land? Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? 
Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the man, sorry, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just to mention a couple of things uh, in our announcements or notices, because so, uh, they will scroll through um, at the end of the service as well. If you want to receive them by email, please let me know. Um, Sylvia will add it to when she comes back from holiday, but just let me know. Um, that gets sent out each week. Can I draw attention to the prayer meeting? This is a summer prayer meeting that takes place um, on Wednesday evenings throughout the summer when uh, pastoral groups no longer meet. So please come along. begins with coffee, lasts for an hour, um, and it's a good time together to pray. Kirstine, who will be coming up later to read, um, particularly asked me to say thank you to all those who prayed for the camps uh, and are continuing to pray for, for the ongoing um, fruit of that labour. So thank you. These are all our announcements. Right, boys and girls, come on down the front. And Hamish, there's a seat for you there. You can sit down there. Okay. You want to find your sister? How's the treehouse, boys? It's good. It's finished. Is it? Can it hold someone as big as me? Huh? Okay. It can hold dad and mum. So, so mum and dad have been spending time in the treehouse, have they? Yeah. Okay. And you have a rope swing as well. That's great. He's, he's going to make a fireman pole. Your dad's amazing. Maybe he can make a treehouse in my garden. <laughs> okay, this is, you know what this is, don't you? A cap. Who wears this kind of cap? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Me, yeah. People, I have, a, I have another, I have lots of hats, but I have actually what we call a bunnet. Do you know what a bunnet is? If you'd gone to a football match in Dundee 50 years ago, everyone would have worn bunnets. And when someone scored a goal, they'd throw their bunnet up in the hair. Up in the hair. But this, I think people who wear, I, I tell you what I think of people, I think Americans wear caps like this. Okay? And there's lots of Americans here just now. Do you know why they're here? 
to follow God. I hope so. <laughs> but there's some of them out in Carnoustie. Do you know where Carnoustie is? What are they doing out there? Watching the open and playing in the open. That's golf. So there's lots of Americans playing golf. And if any of them who are playing golf are here, it means that they didn't, they didn't win. That's why they're here today. But there's lots. But we've also got quite a lot of Americans here as well. In fact, if you're American, I'm going to do something I've always wanted to do because this, this has happened to me in America. If you're American, please stand up. Any Americans here? Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Thank you. Have a seat, guys. Now, what do you think these guys, we know Will and Judy because they're like American Scottish, really. They're American Dundonian. But what do you think these guys are doing here? Because they're not here to play golf. And they don't have baseball caps either. It's really quite sad. So, what do you think they're here to do? They're here to worship Jesus. Okay, that's, that's always a good answer. But what especially? Well, let me ask you, what are you guys doing? They're telling other people about Jesus. And they're doing it in a place called Charleston. Do you know where Charleston is? Here, because you live there. Yeah. And I think, I think the Americans who come and who are playing golf, I think that's brilliant. But this is even better. These guys are better than Tiger Woods. Because what they're doing is, they're coming to tell people about Jesus. And so what we're going to do just now is we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for the children in Charleston. And we're going to pray for the Americans and for everyone else who's helping tell the children that. Now, this week, you've got a a club. Is that right? Yeah, and this past week, you've had a lot of activities. So they were good. And you're not too tired. Yeah, good. Okay, so we're going to pray. Let's put our hands together, close our eyes, and let's thank God. Lord, we thank you that we belong to a church which is all over the world. And we thank you for our American brothers and sisters who are here with us. And we thank you that they have come to share the good news of Jesus especially with this week and the boys and girls in Charleston. And we pray that you would bless that. We pray that you would bless the shop as it opens after all its refurbishment. We pray for the club. We pray that you would give strength to all those who are working and sharing. And we pray for the boys and girls especially that they would come to know you. Be with us and help us to pray and watch over and protect us in your name. Amen. Amen, guys. Go and grab a seat. We're going to sing. Right, before the young people go out for their activities, we're going to stand again and sing um, the song, There is a Redeemer.
So we're going to have a reading from the Old Testament, uh, the second part of Psalm 104. We got the first part last week, and Kirstine's going to read this for us. The readings from Psalm 104, starting at verse 19, and in the Church Bibles you find this on page 607. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labour, until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro and the Leviathan which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now we're going to sing part of that. Stephen's going to come up and lead us. Um, And as we're singing, your offerings will be received. Lord, how many are your wonders?
If you are a visitor, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is <coughs> David. <coughs> I'm the, uh, well, one of the ministers here. And we, we do warmly welcome you. Uh, this evening, Sinclair will be continuing in Proverbs, so I encourage you to come to that at six o'clock this evening. Also, welcome to those of you who are back from camp and who are tired, really tired. So I'm watching you very carefully. If you fall asleep, the person beside you will nudge you, or I will name you. So that's, that's the way that it works. Um, but, you know, you're complaining about being up at 6 in the morning and going to bed at 11 at night. I remember the good old days when we didn't go to bed at all. So. You're just soft nowadays, that's all. But you are, it's great that the camps all seem to have gone so well. So it's lovely to see you. Now, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. It's on page 1134. Let me read the four verses there uh, that we're going to look at this morning. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. You can go to church for 50, 60 years and still not get this. And you could walk in off the street and get this. Uh, It's amazing to me that people can go to church for so long and not get it. Sometimes they don't hear it in church, which is dreadful. But even when they do... They just don't get it. So my hope and, and prayer for all of us is that we get this, that we understand this, because it, it is so important. There, I guess verse 1 is just a verse of great comfort for every believer. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine if you had been condemned to die? And you're facing the firing squad. And then it's announced. No, you're done. No condemnation. You're set free. We're not, none of us, I don't think, are ever going to be in that dramatic a situation. But we can feel, the very youngest can feel condemned at school. We can feel condemned in our work. 
We can feel condemned in our relationships. We can feel uh, many people will grow up in homes and they'll, they'll say things like, I always felt my father was against me. We can feel perhaps the worst kind of condemnation is, is the condemnation that we feel within ourselves, uh, that we accuse ourselves, our own hearts accuse us. We can feel condemned by God. And to, <clears throat> to have that situation where you have no condemnation is just a wonderful thing. Now, the way that our society does it, our society just says, no, 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 you're not condemned, that's it. Don't worry, you're fine, you're great. But you know that's rubbish. You know that's not true. And that's, that's a bit like me standing in front of a mirror and continually repeating, you are the most handsome man in the world. I can repeat it as often as I want. It doesn't make it any more realistic or truer. So how do we get to this phrase? How do we get to this place where there is no condemnation? Because even those of you who are Christians, you, you walk around sometimes with a sense of condemnation. Um, we do. It's just there. And, and I think the New Testament recognizes that so much. How do you make bad people good? How do you make yourself good? Do we pass a few laws? Do we do a course in it? Do we try harder, get religion? Well, the whole of Romans is really an answer to that question. And just for those of you who've not been here and know nothing about Romans, let me just go through the first chapters just again. Um, Chapter one, he's saying, this is the good news. And he's writing, obviously, to the church in Rome. He's saying, this is the good news. It's about Jesus. And it's for the Jews, for the religious people, for the Gentiles. And he's also saying that... The whole human race needs the gospel because all have turned away from God. Chapter 2, he says that God is right when he judges. He's righteous and that his law is for both the Jew and the Gentile, those who've got the Old Testament and those who don't, because those who don't have it written on their their minds or consciences. Chapter 3 says, by God's standard, no one is right. No one is righteous. No one is good. Chapter 4 says that if we want to be right, we have to be, well, that's been called justified. We have to be made right through faith. And it talks about Abraham as an example. And chapter 5 says that that faith brings peace and hope and there's no condemnation. And then chapters 6 and 7 are like brackets. They're a big uh, diversion that Paul takes to discuss the relationship between the law that God gave through Moses and the uh, our sin, how we're dead to sin but alive to God. Chapter 7 talks about the struggle that we face, particularly uh, Christians face when we're, we're struggling with the sin within us. And then in chapter 8, where we are just now, he goes on to talk about the life of the Spirit. And as we saw last week, the Spirit is mentioned once in chapter 7, and I think it's 27 times in chapter 8. So there's a great deal about the power of the Spirit. Now, why is that important? Let me give you this illustration that I read. I thought it was really good. Um, A vine doesn't produce grapes by act of parliament. So the Scottish parliament doesn't say, right, that vine or that apple tree will produce apples. You can't make laws that say they're going to do it. They are the fruit of the vine's own life. 
So, says this writer, the conduct which conforms to the standard of the kingdom is not produced by any demand, not even God's, but it is the fruit of that divine nature which God gives us as as the result of what he has done in and by Christ. Part of the problem with the people who have been tending church for a long, long time is that they always hear that the gospel is go out and do this, go and be a little bit better at that, go and do that. Go and... They, they don't understand that what the Bible is telling us is something that is, is so incredibly radical. It's just saying you can't do it. You need to have a new nature. You, you need to be born from above. You need to have the Holy Spirit. And this is where Paul comes in here. So what we're going to do is look at uh, these verses, first one, and, and just there's a juxtaposition between each of them. First of all, and, and each one, by the way, begins with a kind of like a therefore or a for or um, in order that and so on. So, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is talking about two states that you are in. You're in one or you're in the other. You're either condemned or you're not condemned before God. And ultimately, that's the only thing that matters. It's a cliche, but you always ask when you see a therefore, what's it there for in the Bible? And I think that this does not refer just back to chapter 7, where he's saying there's uh, who's going to free us from this Christ Jesus. I think it refers back to chapter, well, three, four, five as well, and six, when Paul's been explaining what the gospel is. Because uh, earlier on, he's stated in chapter five and verse 18, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So I think that, I think he's referring back to that. And he's saying salvation is through the death and resurrection of Jesus, not through the law. Since we have been justified by faith, says chapter 5, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he's saying, because of what Jesus did, there is no condemnation. Later on in the chapter, we're told that there's no condemnation because God has justified us, because Christ has died for us and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So it's a great thing. It's a great thing. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. I would argue that every single religion in the world, and I haven't studied them all, but I've studied quite a lot, they're all based along the lines of God or the gods are good, and if you do this, and if you say that, then you'll be in favor with them. But Christianity doesn't do that. It argues that God is good, and then says we can't earn our way to God, and then says this, that if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. So much so, that even if you feel condemned, and you might be here this morning, and you might be feeling very condemned about a lot of things, There is no condemnation for you. There can't be. Now, some people, I remember one of the strangest arguments I've heard against Christianity is this. Somebody said, are you saying 
that the pastor, there was a Lutheran pastor who went to speak to the surviving main Nazis at the Nuremberg trials, that if, if they had confessed their sin, they wouldn't have been condemned, that God would have forgiven them. And the answer to that is yes. And people find that absolutely horrific. But I don't think it is horrific. It's horrific if it's kind of like playing a game and using God. But I think it's wonderful in this, that no matter what we have done, no matter how we feel about ourselves, if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation for us. What does it mean then to be in Christ? How do we become in Christ? Because that's a phrase that we use in the church, and it's not immediately obvious what that means. If we say that, I suspect many of us here would, would struggle to articulate what it means. And, it, and if we went round, and if you guys, when you're going down Charleston, said, excuse me, are you in Christ? The people are like, what are you talking about? And I think in many, in the church, the idea, what, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, again, I think Romans helps us because he's saying clearly, those who believe and trust in Jesus, those who take refuge in Christ are in Christ. Those who hear and accept the gospel. They're part of the church, not just a paper member, but they are real, baptized, spirit-filled member of the body. And most of us, I think most normal human beings saying, is that it? I just have to believe and trust in Jesus and that's it. Don't I have to do anything? And the answer is no, you don't have to do anything. You, you repent of your sin, you believe. But because you believe, you are changed and you then will do something. But to be in Christ is to commit and give your life to Jesus. And there's a sense in which we don't do this in this church but some churches you will go to and, and um, they'll have an altar call. Now, what that is, is play just as I am on the violin and people are asked to come up to the front and give their lives to Jesus. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad practice. I'm saying it's an unnecessary one because every time you hear the gospel, every time you hear the good news, you are either saying yes to Jesus or you're saying no to Jesus. This is how it works. Um, Let's suppose that you are a young lady and uh, your boyfriend comes to you and says to you, will you marry me? You can say yes or you can say no. If you turn around and walk away or if you ignore the question, that's also saying no. You might not actually say no, but that's what you're doing. And it's the same thing when the gospel is proclaimed and Jesus says, come to me, and you don't then you're saying no. So those who are in Christ are those who hear and who believe the gospel. And then if you're in Christ, you're not condemned. The opposite of that, of course, is if you're not in Christ, then you are, no matter how religious or how good you think you are, or indeed you may appear to be to others as well. So, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this is why, because, he says, we've been set free. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's now two laws. We're set free from the law of sin and death. Now, 
you go back into chapter 7 and 6, Paul argues that the law that God gave, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic law and so on, it's not sinful. It's not wrong. It's good. It's righteous. It's pure. It's holy. But what the law does, it reveals, provokes, and condemns sin. The law does not become death, but there's a sense in which it produces death because as we're asked to obey and we don't, then there's a death within and a condemnation that is there. It's the law of sin and death. It's called that the principle of sin and death because it exposes both. And to be set free from it is to give up looking to the law for your justification and your sanctification. In other words, for your goodness, for being right, for being clean, for being pure, for being forgiven. You're not saying, I'm going to obey the law and therefore things will be so much better. We're set free from that law because that law just keeps condemning us. The more we try to obey it, the more it seems to stir up stuff within us, the more we realize we can't do it. I like reading the early church fathers and uh, sometimes they border, uh, there's a struggle sometimes almost I think with legalism with some of them because they're desperate to please God. And so they're desperate to remain untainted from the world. And for a while... There was a kind of a extreme asceticism. And what's that? Uh, there were monks and, and, and others who would go and live in the desert and live in caves and never speak to anyone and only drink water. And, and you know, they were extreme vegans before vegans were ever invented. They were, you know, they were just... And there's a, a famous one of a man who sat on a pole for 18 years. You know, that just must have been painful. But anyway, he thought that would get him closer to God, not because of the height of it, just because he was, he was showing how much, you know, he could, he could control his body. And it just, it just never, ever does. It never does. Uh, uh, what I'm reading at the moment is about some of the people who tried that, and then when they moved back into the city, they couldn't cope, they couldn't survive, and they completely backslid. So the law of sin and death is, a, is, is when you come to God's word or when you go by your conscience, whatever it is, and you say, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to obey this, and, and then it's going to be okay, because it's not. The law of the spirit of life or the spirit who gives life is what Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And that's what Paul is referring to in Romans 5, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Or in Romans 7, 6, by now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul's saying there's a written code and there's the spirit. Now, again, we have to be really careful how we read this because in our culture, people carry this idea of, well, we, we can ignore the Bible, that's the written code, and it's just how we feel. I'm, I feel a spiritual person. No, no. The Holy Spirit inspires the Bible. It's his word, and it's through that word that his life comes to us. But that's why Paul is now going, going on in, in Romans 8 to say, you're struggling with sin. The good I want to do, that I do not do. But it's the, it's the freedom of the Spirit. It's the law of the Spirit which changes everything for you. 
Who's going to rescue us, he's asked. Well, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. How's he going to do that? He's, he does that through, he gives his spirit. So, first, you're not condemned if you're in Christ Jesus. Secondly, it's because you've been set free by the law of the spirit of life. Thirdly, because it was Christ who was condemned. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. See, when I hear people go, do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that God loves you as you are and God accepts you as you are and God wants you to be whoever you are and whatever particular thing it is that you think you are, you, you say, well, that's it. God accepts me just as I am. But that's not true. And although that appears wonderful and non-condemnatory and non-judgmental, it actually leads to more condemnation and to more judgment and to more guilt. Because it misses out this. It misses out the reason that we are not condemned. You see, when people talk like that, what they're saying is, you're not condemned because there's nothing to condemn you for, really which is just not true. But when Paul tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he's not looking at us and saying, because you are such a good person or because your heart is so good or because you've been following Christ for 20 years. He's saying, you're not condemned because Christ was condemned for you. It's what Christ did that gives us freedom. We can't do it. We can't do it in this body. The law was weakened. Human will cannot do it. But Christ came in a human body and he was condemned. I find the teaching that God affirms me in, as I am, I find it to be one of the most depressing and sad teachings of all. When the gospel says you're weak and you can't keep the law of God, You're condemned in your human body. And yet, it's through a human body that we are saved through the body of Christ. You'll notice, by the way, and this goes all through Romans 8 as well as it goes through all through Romans. It's Trinitarian salvation. It's God the Father sending God the Son and the Spirit applying that. The Father sends. The Son is sent. The Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. And I, I just think the teaching about the Trinity is so important. It's not for you to, to go and say, all oh, right, how do I work this out and how do I find and how do I, I... I'm just saying it's important this. You're kind of... You've kind of got the wrong question if you're questioning and wondering all about the Trinity and how does that all fit in and so on. I'm not saying it's, it's entirely wrong to do that. But I'll tell you what it's like. It's a bit like somebody who is given um, the most fantastic car and never bothers driving it because they're too busy working out how the engine works. And I think that this idea of the Trinity being involved in our salvation is wonderful in two ways. First, I think it shows the depths of our sin that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all had to be involved. And secondly, I think it shows the incredible love of God that God the Father so loved that he gave, that God the Son so came, so loved that he came, and that God the Spirit so loved 
that he equips and sends and so on. And what Paul says here, I, I think it's almost like a creedal statement. God sent his son to become a human being. He became in the like of sinful flesh. Notice the phrase, in the like of sinful flesh. He's not saying he didn't have a real human body. He's saying he did. But his human body, unlike ours, was without sin. That's, I think, part of the reason for the virgin birth. But whatever it is, it is just simply this. Jesus had no sin. Here was a human body without sin. Paul puts it in this way. Him who knew no sin, God made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he sent his son to be a sin offering. That's a term taken from the Old Testament. It's a term that's repeated in Hebrews 10, verses 6, 8, Hebrews 13, 11. And that was the atonement for uh, unwilling sins, the, the sins that were hidden, the darkest, the deepest. And he sent his son to be the sin offering, not a goat, not a bull, but he sent his son to be the offering. And then by doing that, he condemned sin in the flesh. God judged our sins in the sinless humanity of his son. Again, please just think about that, how wonderful that is. I deserve to be punished for my sin. You deserve to be punished for your sin. But God punished in his son. Christ has borne our condemnation. Christ has prayed the price. Christ has fulfilled the debt. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus took your condemnation. And God is just and fair and he's not going to condemn you twice. If he's condemned you in Christ, he's not going to condemn you again. And so he says, the righteous requirement of the law was met in us. In chapter 7, he said, you can't meet the righteous requirement of the law. You can't meet it. Now he's saying, but it is met in you. But how is it met in you? It's met in you because Jesus became a human. Because Jesus became one of us. And so Romans 13, 9, which he says this, he sums up the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandment may be, may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And God says, you haven't done that. And you know that, you're a Christian. Just think about your neighbors. Do you love your neighbors yourself? Think about the hassles you've got at work. Do you love the people at work as you love yourself? Do you even love your family as you love yourself? No, you don't. We're all self-obsessed. We use other people. We hardly notice our neighbors. And if we were to stand before God and God was to say, did you love your neighbor as you love yourself? All of us would say no. And we would be condemned except this. Jesus has done it. Now I think... That this is what, um, this is justification. It is us being forgiven for our sin. It is us being declared righteous in God's eyes. But it's also because, this is what Romans 8 is about. It's also how we live today. It's also holiness. It's also sanctification. And it's saying, but now you can go on and live the requirements of the law. The spirit living and working in us. Last week, we saw that in Romans 7, it's kind of like a defeated Christian, someone who's just continually struggling. But in Romans 8, what we're seeing is that, no, 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 it doesn't have to be like that. So Ezekiel says, I will put my spirit in you. And Jeremiah says, 
I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. When you become a Christian, God's law is written on your mind and it's written on your heart. And sometimes it's painful because it shows you what you're not. But because you are a Christian, you can immediately say, but Christ forgave my sin and Christ equips. And so we can, as our nature is being changed more and more into the likeness of Christ, we can live good and holy lives that are, and again in the words of Paul, that they are worthy of the Lord. Live a life that's worthy of the Lord. So, Christ was condemned in order that we might live according to the Spirit. So, there's life according to the flesh. That's to live the way that Adam did in rebellion against God. And that's a powerful thing within us, and it's still there. That won't be gone until we're in glory. But Paul says we don't have that option to live like that. We need to live in holiness. Well, what's that? Holiness is that which fulfills the requirements of the law. The moral law is not abolished for us. It's fulfilled in us. Someone can't go and say, I'm a Christian. Jesus forgiven all my sins. So now I can go and commit adultery as I wish. Now I can break God's law as I wish. Here's the most astonishing thing that happens. That as God's spirit is in you. And as God's spirit is at work. You become more acutely sensitive of things that are wrong. Not less. So much so that my own view is that if you are filled with the Spirit, one of the things that can happen is that you do collapse just with the burden and the weight of it because you so, and you need always to look to Christ. The Christian life, as Stott says, is, not, is an ethical life, positive, not merely negative, full orb, not minimal, generous, not miserly, glad, not grudging. Holiness is Christ's likeness. Holiness is the work of the Spirit. Romans 7 says you can't keep the law. Romans 8 verse 4 says, yeah, you can in the Spirit because God sent his Son to die so that you can obey the law. Or as Augustine puts it, grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. So those Christians who say, do you know this? I'm just so glad I'm out of all that law stuff. Yeah, I'm grass why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you could love your neighbor. Jesus came so that you could keep his commands. Jesus came so that you could be faithful to your spouse. Jesus came so that you could care for your children or care for your parents. Jesus came so that you wouldn't steal and rob and cheat. Jesus came so that you would care for the poor. Not because it's a religious duty, but because you're like Jesus. He came to change you. A vine does not produce grapes by act of parliament. And we can't produce Christians by commands. Christians are produced by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus, that as people hear it, they are changed by it. They believe and they come to know Jesus Christ. I love this. Um, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because it, it, it's saying there isn't any condemnation now. He, he goes on to say there won't be any condemnation in the future by the time you get to the end of Romans chapter 8. And all because of something from the past that God has done. So I leave you with um, three thoughts. One is an, uh, an old poem that I just, I really liked. I have no idea who wrote it, but 
to run and work the law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's the difference. That's the difference. Your pathetic little religion that says, if I do this and do this and do this, God is going to be pleased with me. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. And so the question is very, very simple. Are you in Christ? What are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Try all the religions in the world. Look at all the philosophies in the world. Do all the good that you can in the world. And at the end of the day, you will still be fine. In the sense of frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. That's what fine means. How are you? Fine. Are you in Christ? If you are not, there is no other question that you face or will ever face that is more important than that. I believe I'm in Christ and I'll tell you why. Because I've got nothing else. Because I trust Jesus. Because I believe the gospel. I believe what Paul is teaching here in Romans. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the the gate of heaven and let us in. And I believe what the word says. That if I believe that, I am in Christ. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm in Christ. If I was to go by my feeling, my heart would condemn me. But God is greater than my heart. So if you're not a Christian, I plead with you to seek Christ and to pray, Lord, be my savior. Lord, I give my life to you. But for those of us who are Christians, going back to, to, to Romans 7 and this struggle that, that Paul says he has and that we will often have. The question I ask for you is, if you're in Christ, are you living by the spirit or are you quenching the spirit? As Paul asked the Galatians, having begun by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Because it's so easily done. If I just do this, God will be pleased with me. Look, you're not condemned. You've been set free. So, why would you try and unpick your chains again? Why would you do that? Why would you try and set yourself free when you're already free? Part of that is human pride. Part of it is human sinfulness. Part of it is thinking, oh, well, we can do it, but we can't. Having begun by means of the spirit, are we now trying to continue by means of the flesh? No, 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 no. Don't go there again. I'm going to sing in a moment the words, no condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. And that fits everything that you've got. So right now, you're sitting here and you're a bit afraid because of stuff that's going on in the world or stuff that's going on in your life. No condemnation. You're plagued by guilt because the devil is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Because you have done stuff that's a mess. 
Because you are reaping the consequences of your own and other people's sin. But because you're in Christ, no condemnation. Now I dread. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. And I can't be condemned. You're paralyzed by fear. Because you think, well, what if this? And what if that? And what if that? And what if? You play the what if game in your head and in your mind and in your heart. Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't be condemned. You can't. Because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And if you grasp that, if you get it in your head, if you get it in your heart, then it absolutely changes everything around you. I took a funeral this week and it's an amazing funeral in one sense. Great man, Alan Gozin, the greatest football player that Dundee's ever produced. Lots of great football players were there from the past and people were in awe at meeting these great football players. And honestly, it was nice to meet them, but I just felt so sorry that people didn't meet Jesus. Because these guys, I remember them, my day of, of, you know, being young and, and healthy and so on, and they're old and dying. They're not heroes anymore. Now, people who place their trust and faith in in human beings, it's always wasted. People who place their faith and trust in Christ, it's never, ever wasted. Please remember that and rejoice in what God has given. Let's bow our heads. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Lord, what blessed and wonderful freedom what, what a great gospel that the person who's sitting here with the darkest heart and the greatest weight of guilt, that it can all be gone, taken, because you died for your people. Lord, grant that each of us would place our faith and trust in you and grant that those of us who have would continue to do so and not try and carry again the weight of our own sin and our own guilt and not try and carry the burden of being ours or anyone else's savior but help us always to look to you as the savior how can it be and yet it can lord help us to see that in your name amen we're going to finish by singing uh, the hymn i was referring to and can it be That I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood, died he for me who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued, amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, should die for me? Let's stand and sing this to God's praise and please remain standing for the benediction.
And now may the Son who redeems us, the Spirit who renews us, and the Father who receives us, for so great is his love, be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Amen. Amen. Tea and coffee is served.